Hello, I'm Keith Johnston, your host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, I'm joined by VP Research Director Mike Prue to discuss the trend of CMOs reporting to someone other than the CEO. Welcome, Mike. Hey, Keith. Thanks for having me. Mike, we've been talking about the CMO being in a tough position for a long time, but a lot of things have changed the last couple of years. They've always been responsible for marketing, sometimes underappreciated, but now CX, commerce, even EX has been in and around this executive remit. Today, we're going to talk about your latest research about how this role is evolving, even being tucked under new roles underneath the CEO. So, Mike, where do we stand today in terms of the CMO and their reporting structure? Well, we got recent research from our quarterly CMO Pulse data, and what it showed is that almost half of B2C CMOs don't report directly to the CEO. And so we've been wondering for several years now, and all of our CMO coverage, we've been watching this trend as new roles like chief commercial officers and chief customer officers come into the mix, why the CMO reports to them and not the CEO. And so, you know, what we say about these CMOs is that they're tucked. And if listeners are raising their eyebrows, that is meant to be a play on words. It is meant to be literal that they are being tucked under the other roles that are not the CEO. But it's also in line with the trends in our predictions and our research about the CMO role themselves that if they are not taking responsibility for their own career path, then they're also tucked, but with an F. And, you know, that is something that is particularly important. So, you know, the big question then comes to why is this trend happening to nearly half of B2C CMOs and, and what should they be doing about it to mitigate against it? It's fascinating, right? Because in one case, the, the CMO role seems to be very resilient, but they're always, every year seems to be this idea that we need to create a new cabinet position. Chief growth officer, chief experience officer, our favorite is a chief digital officer. Why is this happening? So in our research, we spoke with a bunch of executive search firms that recruit for CMOs. We also talked with agency new business pitch consultants that work with all sorts of CMOs every day, connecting them to agencies. And we talked with CMOs themselves. So we found four main reasons why this trend is happening. The first is that the job profile for CMOs is just poorly designed. You know, we find that our previous research on the effective CMO is that it suffers from role ambiguity. And when we talked to executive search firms, what they said was something really, really interesting that the CEO doesn't necessarily understand what the CMO does and has a hard time clearly articulating the function itself. And since CEOs are not necessarily experts in hiring or understanding CMOs, when a CMO fails, it can often be a failure in the matchmaking process itself. So it's just pure bad job design. So that is one of the reasons. 
The second reason is that there's a thin bench of CMO successors. There's lack of training. Training budgets have been decimated, especially in 2023 as budgets have been slashed and cut. But what we've also heard is that when we look at the lieutenants, the number twos to CMOs, there's an observation that they are too functionally oriented. And what that means is that they're not able to punch above their weight. And so when there is a need to make a CMO replacement, only one in five, according to Russell Reynolds Associates, one in five of the lieutenants have a chance of being internally promoted. So more often than not, the CEO is turning externally to the marketplace to bring in a CMO successor. Another reason, the third, is that the CEO is consolidating their direct reports. So we find that you know, as the C-suite expands, the CEO needs to make decisions around span of control and span of responsibility. And there's only so many people that can report directly into that role. And oftentimes, the CEO makes the decision to, in effect, leave another role to deal with marketing because there's that misunderstanding and that misalignment, which we'll talk about later on in this podcast. And finally, the needs of the business change. That's the fourth trigger, the fourth reason behind CMOs getting tucked. We're in a time of economic uncertainty. It sounds so cliche to say that at this point. So it's exacerbating already hesitant CEO and CMO relationships. CEOs continue to rank their CMOs lowest in their ability to drive growth. And uh, changes in business models and market trends also will drive the need to bring in new marketing leadership. And so all of this together leads to reasons why many brands, especially in the retail space, either are in effect demoting or deprioritizing their CMO or eliminating the role altogether. It's so interesting because we haven't eliminated marketing, but somehow this misunderstanding has created a breach in trust somewhere. But more importantly, you know, without marketing or with marketing moving into these new roles, the organization just looks different. But we also learned that, you know, where the CMO sits in the organization actually says a lot about the company's growth strategy. What leads up to this decision to tuck the CMO? So there is a lot that the CMO can do themselves to mitigate against getting tucked or making the most of the position that they're in. And one line that we said in, in our report is it's not the CMO title that's holding you back. It's you, the CMO itself. And, you know, while Admittedly, Forrester's research on the B2C CMO in recent years has painted maybe more of a bleak picture around this idea that uh, CMOs and the CMO role is in jeopardy if the CMO loses relevance. There is actually optimistic and, and good news coming out of this most recent research. And that's probably a good place to start. And it's actually data from Spencer Stewart. They did a, a pretty extensive study on CMO tenure. And, you know, Keith, you know, as well as I do, we in the industry continues to quote and cite low CMO tenure. And every time the industry does that, whether it's an article or a blog post, or, you know, even in some cases, we mentioned this in forestry reports, we're saying it as if it's a negative thing, a negative phenomenon. But the recent data from Spencer Stewart actually turns that on its head. 
what they have found is that 77% of CMOs who leave their roles are either promoted or take on similar or bigger roles at other companies. And so what this means is that the narrative around CMO tenure has been wrong. In fact, low CMO tenure, what it means is that the CMO role is a bigger and better platform that allows CMOs to move on to greater spans of responsibility. So in effect, it's a market signal that shows that the CMO role is in demand. And in our research, we looked at a number of CMOs that actually moved into the CEO role. And we heard from many executive search firms, people who are recruiting CMOs, that they have likened the competencies of great CMOs to that of CEOs. So in effect, this is very good news for the CMO role. Yeah, it sounds like good news because, you know, We've always looked at the CMO as being one of the most business savvy or just having the strongest customer understanding uh, within the company. And somehow we've pivoted to thinking that somebody with the title of chief digital officer is more suited for today's business. When in fact, you actually learned that a lot of CMOs uh, move into even those roles and add that title to the CMO. Why are we co-mingling other titles with the CMO? So this is where it gets interesting. And it is something that is completely unique to the CMO job profile. If we were to look at job profiles from an array of companies around the CFO role or the chief people officer or any other C-level role like the COO, they are virtually copy and paste across the board. But what members of various executive search companies that we've spoken to told us is that there are simply no two CMO job profiles that are the same. And so that creates an element of uh, sort of this condition in the marketplace where what is the standardized CMO job? Uh, and the reality is, is there simply is not one definition of it. So that is either an opportunity or a challenge or a problem. So what's been happening to get to your question is that the needs of individual companies, the organizational structure and the market dynamics dictate what other things layer on top of sort of that classic marketer's role. And in some cases, in many cases, it has to be deep digital business experience, understanding commerce and commerce solutions, taking responsibility for the customer experiences. More and more CMOs are coming back to having direct responsibility for product, which is a, a very good thing. And it anchors back to classic marketing. And so some of the executive search recruiters would call this uh, more or less the CMO plus role, which I thought was an interesting way and a, a sort of a nomer, nomenclature to, to talk about that role. That you know, this idea of the CMO plus is really what reflects the modern CMO. And it is the role that blunts against getting tucked to the likes of a chief customer officer or a chief digital officer. But the onus is completely on the CMO today to ensure that they are flexing and upskilling into that CMO plus capability set. 
So this change in title or structure is literally just a label. That's what I'm hearing is just to, to rationalize what that role does. Because the CMO still has a cachet to it. It's a still cool title. It's a great seat within the C-suite. Or is it not? You and I have talked about this. We talked about it in the last podcast we did around predictions. Uh, I think it was last year, maybe even the year before that the head of marketing should be called the chief marketing officer. You know, it is enigma to both of us as to why some companies decide to change that title. And, you know, I asked people that we interviewed for this research why they think that that happened. Some of them said, well, it kind of carries an old school cachet with it. Uh, you know, in other cases, the company wants to signal a change in strategic direction by changing the title of the head of marketing. But unequivocally, Everyone we spoke to said, even if a company eliminates the CMO title, it doesn't mean that marketing is not important, that marketing isn't happening at the company, uh, that it's simply being led by an individual who has marketing responsibilities, but with a different title. You're making an important point because what we've also seen is that, you know, uh, and actually, you did make the point that when that title is changed, there is a strategic change in where the company is directed, what kind of resources they're investing in. And they may get rid of the CMO title, but then ultimately, they often bring it back after the company has changed in lieu of changing that title. So talk about some of the brands that have actually reversed course to reinstate the CMO and bring the cachet back to that C-suite role. Yeah, this was really interesting in our research. So, uh, you know, we we also heard that uh, when changes like this happen, companies often reverse course. Uh, and we found a number of brands did that. Um, so, uh, you know, one example is McDonald's. Uh, in November 2021, they reinstated the company's global CMO role less than a year after dissolving it. Uh, their rationale was to reestablish strong business momentum in the wake of the pandemic. Uh, PayPal is another one. January 2019, they hired a CMO after six years without having one due to the need for a more sophisticated marketing message strategy. Coca-Cola, January 2020, they transferred marketing from reporting to the chief growth officer to a newly appointed CMO after nearly three years without one. Their rationale to accelerate the company's brand vision. And you had lots of other examples where those companies that got out of this carousel of titles and brought the CMO back, that the CMO role is a great path to the CE role because of that just understanding the business, building the brand, right? Yeah, exactly. So we looked at those CMOs who went on to CEO jobs, either at their existing companies or at other brands, a uh, couple of examples. Uh, Francis Allen, he was a former CMO at Dunkin' in that role for two and a half years. He's now the CEO of Checkers, drive-in restaurants. Uh, Russell Weiner, he was the CMO of Domino's. He's now the CEO of Domino's. There's probably 10 examples that we have, and this is not an exhausted list in, in the report, but it continues to reinforce this notion that the competency set of the best CMOs mirror the competencies for CEOs. 
it just makes me think is that marketing is such a confusing word right now. You know, customer experience and marketing blend together. Technology is woven throughout everything that we do. In some of those examples of just these really great CMOs, some who moved on, some down, it's like, ultimately, what is the role of the CMO in an organization? I mean, great organizations where they just figured out that the CMO title is what it is, but it's about how we lead our company, what resources we put together, what that role may mean for us as a company, not the person who sits in it. So what we found and what we consistently heard in our interviews is that CMOs that don't show up as strategic generals get marginalized. And what we mean by that, it comes down to deep business experience, not just classic marketing, not brand, not creative. Um, There were examples given that CPG companies, their CMOs tend to be well-equipped business leaders because they also usually have direct responsibility for P&L and that goes a long way. And in that role, they have a lot of tentacles into all aspects of the business. So that gives them this well-roundedness across the business that they're in to understand all of the dynamics that are happening and create all of the different types of collaborations that are necessary to have the competency set to then punch up uh, into bigger and, and more influential roles, including the CEO role. Yeah, so this it's the role really needs to be that confluence of just business savvy, great with marketing and communicating the customers, building the brand, and actually having some influence on product, which we've seen that trend, you know, back for the CMO, right? I mean, it's a changed role. So therefore, why create another title? Because it just comes down to how, what is your company doing to drive growth? A hundred percent. And one of the reasons why some CMOs aren't able to do that is because they don't have a lieutenant or a set of direct reports that are handling all of the day-to-day of the marketing function. Without that, the CMO continues to be mired and pulled into much more tactical decision-making and simply doesn't have the time that affords them to think broader about the business uh, and punch above their weight. And so it is particularly important that for CMOs to be successful and to set themselves up for future roles and their spans of responsibility that ultimately they have an incredibly adept management team in place around the marketing function. So when a CMO is walking into a new role, I hear what you're saying because then it means that the CMO needs to be set up for success when they get there. How does the CMO actually observe that in their C-suite counterparts to make sure that they're set up for success? as soon as they walk in the door? It should happen before they walk in the door. It should be part of the due diligence in the matchmaking process. And, uh, and that has been one of the failures. You know, we've, we've heard stories that all too often that when they start their role, they find out it wasn't as advertised ironically enough. And so this puts the onus of due diligence on the CMO shoulders to ensure that they are, asking the right questions throughout the interview process and going deep 
and spending some time in the environment that they're considering to truly understand what the culture is like. Because CMOs and CEOs, they can have mismatch expectations and they will then continue to diverge on day one. And so immediately that sets up the CMO for failure. But of course, and you mentioned it, like it's the interview process can be one thing. And then the experience, once you get in the organization can be another thing. And so you actually research, like how can CMOs stay on top once they get there, even if the circumstances aren't perfect? Is there some advice there? Yeah, we created uh, what we're calling a proximity framework. So the punchline of the entire report, here's the spoiler alert, uh, if you haven't read it, is that a CMO's proximity to the CEO, it matters more than reporting to them. So, you know, ultimately the question that people ask are, well, does it matter? Well, it does matter under certain conditions. And so CMOs who don't report directly to the CEO can be enormously successful as long as they have proximity. And we define proximity using three tenets. The, the first is alignment. Trust and partnership were words that consistently were used throughout our interviews describing the ideal relationship between CEOs and CMOs. But achieving this is often very hard. You have to ensure that you are aligned with the expectations of the CEO and vice versa. What's interesting is that we pulled data from our 2023 customer obsession survey, and we looked at all of the questions that were about customer advocacy. So, you know, one example is our customers think we are effective at meeting their needs. We then cut the data and the responses by various roles. And we looked at the difference between how CMOs responded to these statements around the customer and how CEOs responded. And guess what? Probably not surprised. There was a lot of divergent responses. So our customers think we are effective at meeting their needs. 97% of CEOs think that's true, but only 75% of CMOs think it's true. Let me give you another one. Our focus on customers guides our brand, product, and pricing strategies. Nine in 10, 90% of CEOs believe that to be true. Just 58% of CMOs think that's true. And it shows up again and again and again in all of the questions around the customer. And so inherently, going into the interview process and going into the job, you can bet that if you're a CMO, you're going to be a lot more discerning around the customer and hence customer obsession than your CEO is going to be. So there's already friction on day one. Hence why the partnership is just so important. And that's just understanding of marketing, but also just being on the same page when it comes to how they're going to grow the business together, right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, there was one quote from one of the recruiters that said that CEOs are not capable of articulating marketing success, what success looks like. That is a problem if, if, if that's the case. Now, you know, there's also good news. I just wrapped up, you know, talking with a ton of CMOs at various companies, various industries. And this is probably not going to be surprising, but, you know, we continue to see this trend that when the CEO has a marketing background, there is so much more appreciation for the marketing function. 
Uh, nor generally, the CMO is going to be reporting directly to the CEO, and the CMO feels like the CEO has their back. So when the CEO just simply does not understand marketing, that should also be a red flag when CMOs are interviewing for their roles. So alignment is one of the three tenets of this idea of CEO-CMO proximity. The second one is altitude. CEOs need to make sure that their CMOs, along with the voice of the customer, which the CMO represents, don't get buried in their, their organizations. So you know whether or not they're going to, the CEO is going to have the CMO report to them, the onus is on them to look out for that CMO role to ensure that it is not burying the voice of the customer in their organization. And, you know, we heard quotes from recruiters that, you know, like your COO probably doesn't know enough about marketing to be effective. We heard other quotes, you know, around things like when the chief digital officer is, is running marketing, they don't have the experience around writing creative briefs. And so that can be problematic to the marketing function. Probably one of my favorite quotes was, how do you know when a company doesn't understand marketing? They put it under the CFO. Uh, so you know that starts to describe this idea that, okay, maybe it doesn't matter as long as you have proximity to the CEO that you don't report to them, but it does matter what other role you're reporting to as a CMO. And then last, the third uh, tenant of this proximity framework is what we call access. So we ended up with three A's uh, serendipitously, I guess. Um, so regardless of the reporting relationship, it is so important that the CMO have a direct line to the CEO. Uh, you know, one uh, interviewee told us that the CMO role is not a set it and forget it job, that CEOs have to provision enough time to their CMO it's got to be this consistent red thread. So this, you know, idea that we talked about at the beginning of this podcast that, you know, sometimes CMOs, when they're consolidating their direct reports, they sort of have this mentality of, hey, you know, I'm just going to delegate the marketing responsibility to another C-suite exec, you know, out of sight, out of mind. That can't happen. Fine, beloved CEO, if you decide to put an intermediary between yourself and the CMO, but that doesn't obfuscate your responsibility around the marketing function and to ensure that you are creating this relationship with the CMO, regardless of the reporting lines. Yeah, it's so important because it, you know, what we're talking about for the last 30 minutes is just, you know, marketing is a business enabling function. If you don't have access to the CEO, then you probably don't have access to the things that you need to perpetually influence that customer lifecycle acquire customers, drive customer activity. It's just not going to happen. 100%. And I am more optimistic than I've ever been about the future of the CMO role. And it is because not just through this research, but through our daily engagements with other CMOs, our clients, our prospects, I am seeing more and more CMOs step up to have responsibility for not only some of the modern marketing functions, but also coming full circle around a lot of the classic marketing functions of product and pricing, not just promotion, which you know we focus a lot on because advertising sits under promotion. So those CMOs that have the right mindset, the skill set, provision the time to think as business leaders and 
pave their way to ensure that they either have responsibility or influence over all of the marketing levers, they're the ones that are going to succeed in the future. I couldn't agree more. Uh, You certainly made the case for not talking your CMO. Final words of advice for those CMOs out there that may be struggling or they eminently see another title encroaching on their role. One of the things that we consistently hear from CMOs is that the media and technology landscape changes faster than they can keep up with. And this is an area that has to be a priority for them among the many other priorities that we talked about. This is where the CMO needs to put together a specific learning agenda for themselves to work with partners like Forrester who continue to be at the bleeding edge of things like generative AI, you know, what's going on with the metaverse? Is it still cool or not? What they should be doing around it? What's happening with TikTok and streaming and CTV? These are areas that the CMO simply can't outsource to their lieutenants. This is part of being a modern marketer. And if there is one place to continue to prioritize, uh, it is ensuring that they are staying abreast with all the changes in the media and technology landscape. And that means ensuring that you're allocating a part of your budget every year, you're protecting and you're defending that budget to test and learn with emerging media and tech. And it's not just emerging media channels, but it's also part of your tech stack. What are you doing to maximize your MarTech solution? What are you doing to ensure that you are mitigating around the fact that the third-party cookie is finally and actually going to be killed by Google at the end of 2024? How quickly are you going to be able to mobilize around zero and first party data? Um, The time to be doing all of this is now, and it is a continuous cycle because the marketplace, consumer behaviors, media, and technology will always change. That is a constant. That is a known, and CMOs need to integrate that into their regular planning routines. And a CMO does not need a chief digital officer to tell them that, right? They do not. Now, you know, with regards to the CDO role, there are instances in some organizational structures where there isn't a chief technology officer, there isn't a CIO. And so the idea of a CDO makes sense. But when an organization has a CIO, a CTO, a CMO, and a CDO, you can bet there's going to be redundancies between those roles. And a lot of salary expense comes along with that. I agree. Well, this has been a great conversation. Thanks, Mike. Keith, thanks so much for having me. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, or drop us a note at podcast at Thanks for listening.